0: Well, here we go with part two of Psalm 18. Tonight, we're going to try to cover verses 25 through 50. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 18. I want to recap last week. Just briefly, we covered the first 24 verses. Uh, And so we're breaking this Psalm into sections as we study through it. And I've broken it down into seven sections total. Last week, we covered the first three sections, which was verses one through six where we saw David's faith and the faithfulness of God. We also heard the voice of David in that section. Section 2 was verses 7 through 15, and that's where we seen the judgment of God against his foes, and we also heard the voice of God. Section 3 was verses 16 through 24, and that's where we took a look at David's faithfulness, and we seen the salvation of God. So I want to go ahead and read the second half of this psalm tonight, and then we're going to go through the last four sections together psalm 18 starting in verse 25 says with the merciful you will show mercy yourself or excuse me with the merciful you will show yourself merciful with the blameless man you will show yourself blameless with the pure you will show yourself pure and with the devious you will show yourself shrewd for you will save the humble people but will bring down haughty looks For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. And sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them, neither did I turn back until they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have have subdued me, or excuse me, you have subdued under me those who rose up against me. Verse 40, you have also given me the necks of those who are my enemies. So I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord. But he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out. Like dirt in the streets. You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come and come frightened from their hideouts. Verse 46, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me. And subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. So, amen. So, to kind of recap sections four through seven it would go like this section four is going to be verses 25 through 29 and that's where we're going to see the love and the justice of god we see both section five is going to be verses 30 through 36 this is where we're going to see both the strength and the grace of god and then section six is 37 through 45 And that's where we're going to see God deliver the enemy into the hand of David and then David destroy them. And then the last section we're going to look at is verses 46 through 50, which is obviously a prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance. Okay. now that's one way we're going to look at this psalm. But once we have finished up studying through these sections, I want to go back through the entire psalm briefly with an eye toward Christ. And I think that's going to shed some light on this psalm. For us tonight because I don't know as you may have noticed as we have studied through many of these psalms already This psalm here in particular is all about jesus christ psalm 18. So here we go Section 4 verses 25 through 29. This is where we see the love and the justice of god He says with the merciful you will show yourself merciful with a blameless man You will show yourself blameless with the pure you will show yourself pure And with the devious, you show yourself shrewd for you will save the humble people, but you will bring down haughty looks for you will light my lamp. The Lord, my God will enlighten my darkness for by you, I can run against a troop by my God. I can leap over a wall. All right. So the love and justice of God here, we see that God is both merciful and he's pure, but not only that, he's also blameless and shrewd. Okay. Now, that's the character of God, but this, of course, also seems to be the character that God requires for his children, those who follow him. As children of God, we're to live according to the character of our father, right? We're to treat each other well, we're to show mercy to one another, and our lives should be blameless before men and before God. So, in other words, we should live pure lives before both God and man. In other words, if we have a relationship with our heavenly father then our life should reflect that. It should resemble that relationship that we have with God. And here I'm reminded of what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, which says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So in other words, if you want mercy in the time of judgment, then guess what? We need to be merciful to people now, don't we? And then, of course, in the book of James, who James was Jesus' half-brother, he wrote this in James chapter 2, verse 13. He says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we learn a lot about the character of God there. The mercy of God triumphed over his judgment toward us in our sin. Why? Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And so, therefore, how can we possibly hold mercy from one another, right? We shouldn't be able to do that because we have been shown so much mercy by our Lord Jesus Christ. So be merciful and you will be shown mercy. However, if you notice in this psalm, the opposite is also true according to verse 26. God will not show mercy to those who are devious. In fact, the word says he will be shrewd to them, okay? Now the way of God is to give mercy, right? The word devious means to depart from the most direct way. So so think about that for a minute. To the devious, he's going to be shrewd. And and to be devious means to depart from the most direct way. So for those who choose to depart from the way of God and go another way, then guess what? God will deal shrewdly with them. In other words, he's going to deal with them sharply and directly. There will be no mercy for them. They're going to get what they deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So, To receive mercy, obviously, is to not get what we deserve. And those of us who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and receive forgiveness of our sins, we know very well that we've gotten something that we absolutely do not deserve, right? The mercy of God, the forgiveness of our sins. And so David's words here agree perfectly with both Jesus and James. Show mercy to one another because God has shown so much mercy to you. Uh, David continues in verse 27 by saying that God saves the humble, but he brings down the haughty. So by his mercy, that's where we see the love of God in this in this section here. And the fact that he brings down the haughty is where we see his justice. So again, we see both love and justice in this section. Those who humble themselves before God in repentance, well, they're going to be saved from God's wrath ultimately. However, those who refuse to humble themselves, God will bring them down, Right? So the question is not whether or not the prideful haughty people are going to bow before God that's not the question at all we know that they most certainly will according to Philippians 2 so the question is will they bow now before God in humble repentance or will they bow forcefully in the next life in the life that's to come God will bring them down that's a promise from Scripture in verses 28 and 29 they reflect on the fact that God has lit his lamp, that they have enlightened his darkness. And so what does that mean when David uses that kind of poetic metaphoric language like that? Well, to me, it seems to speak to a personal enlightenment enlightenment rather that David had. He says this, he said, my lamp, God has lit my lamp and enlightened my darkness. So it's very, very personal here. In John chapter 1 verse 9, it tells us that Jesus was the true light that gives light to every man, right? So David, I think, could be speaking here um, to the fact that he has humbled himself before God, that he was saved. This might be an Old Testament way of describing the time that he entered into a relationship with his God. That's a possibility, at least, I think. But he goes on to describe the strength and the confidence that he has as a result of his relationship with God. He says, man, I can run against a troop. I can leap over a wall. It's almost like he's Superman, right? Able to leap Tall buildings in a single bound. He feels like Superman. But it reminds me of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 27 in particular. Jesus said this With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. So I think what David is doing here is he's expressing his joy and his faith in the strength of his God. Okay? It's a very descriptive way of doing that, but I think we see that more clearly in the next section which is section 5 verses 30 through 36 and this is where we're going to see the strength and the grace of God in verses 30 through 31 David's going to reiterate some of the characteristics of God that we've seen back in verses 1 through 3 he kind of mentions them again he says his way is perfect he tells us that God's word is proven and that he's a shield to those who trust in him but then he goes on to rebuke the pagan false gods by declaring that only God is the Lord. That's a way of rebuking the false gods of his day. Okay, so when David says only God is the Lord, what he's saying is only Elohim is Jehovah. Okay? So only the triune God of the Bible is the one true God. He goes on to say that he is a rock. And we see that God we see God's strength in verses thirty through thirty-one. But now in verses 32 through 36, David reflects on the effects that God's, of God's ways and the, the effects that they've had on him. Okay. So he describes the character of God. Now we're going to see some of the effects of that character on the life of David. He credits God for giving him strength. Okay. Because God's ways are perfect. So he has made David's ways perfect. And that's because God's ways are never less than perfect. If you're in God's way, then you know that you're in the perfect way. And check it out. David gives credit to God's right hand for equipping things in David's own life, like his own arms, his own hands, his own feet. And so this tells us here that God will give you the strength that you need to accomplish the task task that he's called you to do. He will strengthen your arms, your hands, your feet, whatever task it is that he has called you to do, he will give you the strength to do that. David makes that proclamation here. Verse 35 says that God has shielded David with his salvation. That's a beautiful picture. And he's provided plenty of room for his feet to walk so that they won't slip out from under him. So what I learned from that is, you know what? God has you, okay? God's got you, believer. Stay in the safety of his will where your feet do not slip. So don't wander off the path. Stay in his perfect way. And in verse 35 david says something very very interesting about the god who he just described in in verses 7 through 15 as a sort of an angry type god not necessarily that he's angry all the time but that he has anger he described him with devouring fire coming out of his mouth and thundering from heaven shooting arrows just very descriptive but then david gives another very very interesting perspective of this warrior god that we see in psalm 18 he said this he said your gentleness has made me great. That's an interesting contrast, isn't it? And so here's where we see both the strength of our God and the graciousness of our God. And it reminds me of what Paul said back in Romans chapter two, verse four, Paul said, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And I love that verse because that tells us that God is good. God is kind and he is gentle. And so the same just God of wrath that's going to avenge his enemies that we read about will also be our gentle God of love that's going to save those who humble themselves and trust in him. Again, the strength and the graciousness of God is all throughout that section. Now, as we move into section six, which is going to be verses 37 through 45, we're going to see that God delivers the enemy into the hand of David and David destroys that enemy that God delivered to him. And not only that, but God, or excuse me, David gives credit to God for all of the victories in the battlefield. And that's very important because David understands that God gave his enemies over to him. Okay. He doesn't take credit for the victory. He gives God the credit. And we see that not only did God provide David with strength for the battle, but he also subdued and then handed over the enemy to David. And so what do we learn here? Well, I think we learned that God will fight our battles. Okay, God will fight our battles. We're not alone in this fight, okay, against the enemy of our soul. So we're not alone, but God alone is in charge. He will deliver that enemy, all right? He has the power over us and our enemies, and we need to always remember that. God's not just sovereign over us. He's sovereign over our enemies. He's in complete control 100% of the time. And one day, the enemies of God, they're going to be wounded to the very point where they cannot rise. Did you see that in verse 38? Therefore, their cries to God, they're going to be too late. They're going to cry out to God, but God will not answer them. Verse 41. And so now these verses, I think, really depict David here as a type of Christ. And we're going to cover that more in detail here in just a minute. But uh, David's going to wrap up this psalm here with a a prayer of thanksgiving uh, to God for, for delivering him from his enemies. And just to kind of remind you, a parallel passage of scripture to Psalm 18 is in Second Samuel chapter 22. And so we see this right before the last words of David. So these are some of the last things that are on the heart of King David before he dies. And so I think they're pretty important uh, in In terms of, you know, last words mean something, you know, as we see Paul's last words in Second Timothy, we see David's last words and kind of Psalm 18 right before he dies. And so I don't know, it just seems like there might be a little extra importance on on some of these. But He finishes up this psalm in section 7, which would be verses 46 through 50 with a prayer of thanksgiving. He says, The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed to david and his descendants forevermore so pretty cool as some of the last recorded words of king david i mean we can see his thankfulness to god here for protecting him against saul and against all of his enemies and giving deliverance to his king david the anointed king and i love how david says this too he says that He says his king and and his anointed. So David knew exactly who he belonged to. David knew that he was God's king, that he was God's anointed. He knew why he was king, too. He knew that he was king to serve God. Why? Because God had put him there. It was God who anointed David. And therefore, God also protected him. And not only did he protect him, he delivered him. And so what do we take from that? Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, we take comfort. From that because the same is true for each and every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to him. We're his, right? And he's going to protect us from the enemy of our souls. And he's going to ultimately deliver us into safety, into the very safety of his own presence, just like he did David. So we have reason to rejoice. We have reason to close every prayer with rejoicing, just like David does here, because Christ is our rock. Christ is our salvation. And Christ is ultimately our deliverer, not just from sin, but from this world, from the grave. He is our deliverer for all of eternity. And so we should give thanks and give praise to his name again, just like David does here. All right. So that's kind of just a short run through and, you know, exposition of these verses. But I want to go back and take a quick look through this entire psalm with an eye toward Christ. Okay, because this is where I really hope that this psalm comes alive for you. There's definite application for you as a believer. And we've talked about some of that over the last couple of weeks, but I want you to always look for Christ, especially in the Psalms. And maybe this will open up a window for you as you study through the book of Psalms, when you see what these Psalms actually mean and what they actually look toward prophetically, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's really, really cool. I like how Tim Keller describes the book of Psalms as the songs of Jesus And that is so true. When you read through these Psalms, think about them as the songs of our Lord Jesus Christ, because that's exactly what they are. Now, we get a hint that Psalm 18 is about Jesus over in Romans chapter 15, verse 9. And I'll read that for you. Paul is proclaiming that the mercy of God is both for the Jews and for the Gentiles in this chapter. And he says this in chapter 15, verse 9. Paul writes, And that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And then check this out. Paul quotes directly from Psalm 18, (coughs) verse 49. And he says, For this reason I confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So Paul quotes Psalm 18, verse 49 in Romans 15, 9. The life of Christ is reflected in psalm 18 and we here we see a very very vivid picture of the life of christ all throughout this psalm and not only that we see the ultimate fulfillment of these words that were written by david about his own life by the way in the life and ministry of our lord jesus christ and so again when you look at david's life and scripture oftentimes what you see is a type of christ a foreshadowing of christ so keep that in mind as well i like what j vernon mcgee said here. He said some of the utterances that are called poetic figures of speech here are more than figures of speech. He said that these utterances speak to the Son of God and he's exactly right. William MacDonald agrees and he says this, he said this Psalm, Psalm 18, is indeed about the Lord Jesus Christ. It describes graphically his death, his resurrection, his exaltation his second coming and his glorious kingdom. And we're about ready to find that out. So that's awesome. You might want to write that down as we go through this, because we're going to see Christ's death. We're going to see him raised from the grave. We're going to see him exalted into the heavens. We're going to see his second coming, and then we're going to see his glorious kingdom. And it's a beautiful picture of Christ. William McDonald continues. He says, nowhere else in the Bible are we given such a vivid account of the tremendous battle that took place in the unseen world at the time of our Savior's resurrection. And that is so awesome and it's so true. We get to see what was going on behind the scenes when Christ was raised from the dead, and we read about it right here in Psalm 18. So let's go back to the beginning. Starting in chapter or yeah, chapter 18, starting in verse 1, and we're going to walk through this quickly with Christ in view, okay? So take some notes, jot it down and we'll we'll talk all about it here in just a minute but verses 1 through 3, okay? Christ is is described perfectly here in all of these ways that David uses these descriptive words. Okay? They're they're a description of Christ in every way. David uses words like rock, fortress, deliverer, strength, shield, horn, salvation, and stronghold. All of these are characteristics of God, and they're a perfect description of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, no one else in history fits this description any better than Christ. And just a side note here, too, before we move into verse four. Notice how David begins this psalm by saying, I will love you, O Lord. And I love that because it, it made me ask, when was the last time that I told the Lord I loved him? that's a beautiful way to start a prayer, isn't it? It's a beautiful way to start your prayers in the morning or to start them at night or whenever you enter into a conversation with God. Admit it. I love you, Lord. Let him know how much you love him and adore him. And David does that. And so uh, we should do that, too. It's just a great way to begin your prayers. Verses four through six. Here is, is where we see that death is coming for our Savior. Death is coming for Jesus in these verses. The Lord will soon be crucified and he will soon drink that cup of wrath for your sin and for mine. Here in verse six is where we see his cries in the garden of Gethsemane. And we see the assurance that the father has heard his cries all there in verse six. Verses seven through 15. This is where we see the battle. Okay, this is where we see the battle that took place between God and the powers of of darkness at Christ's resurrection and it's just amazing. I mean, Satan thought that he had secured the victory when Christ was crucified, right? He thought he had won the battle, but then verse 9, God bowed the heavens and came down. The gospels tell us that there was a great earthquake, you'll remember, when the angel came and rolled the stone away. That's Matthew chapter 28 verse 2. So this is a picture of what was going on in the unseen world at that time. I mean, this is just amazing to me. Death is being defeated right now. As you read through that, death is being defeated. The enemy of our souls is being crushed at this moment, okay? The power of Satan over humanity is being vanquished, verse 14. It's a beautiful picture of what God was doing to save you and me through the resurrection of his son, Jesus. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where's your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? Paul wrote. And then in verses 16 through 19, here's where we see it. Here's where we see the miracle of history. Okay? God reaches down and takes his son from the tomb of death and raises Jesus Christ from the dead. That's verse 16. He took me. Christ is risen, and right here, death is defeated. And now he has ascended into heaven. That's the broad place that we see in verse 19. That's the ascension of Christ into glory. Then in verses 20 through 30, this is where we see the reason behind the resurrection, or maybe a better way to say this would be, this is where we see our Lord Jesus Christ's qualifications to be resurrected. Okay? Why? Because he lived a sinless life. He fulfilled every demand of God's holy law. All of the qualifications of God for someone to know him, for someone to have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him are met in the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly because he accomplished everything for us. Jesus Christ alone is the righteous one here. Christ alone is the blameless one here. And Christ's resurrection is the father's stamp of approval on his perfect life and on his perfect sacrifice and now those who will humble themselves before god can be saved from his wrath why because jesus took the full wrath of the father toward your sin and mine upon himself on the cross verse 30 psalm 18 verses 31 through 42 tell us about the second coming of our lord jesus christ this is when christ returns and you know what when jesus comes again it's not going to be pretty right No, at least not for the enemies of God, it won't be. There's going to be a battle. And you know what? Christ is not going to lose it. Not at all. The enemies of God are going to cry out, but they're not going to be saved. Verse 41. They're going to be cast out like dirt in the streets. Verse 42. And then in verses 43 through 45, we see Christ set up his kingdom on earth. And it's a beautiful picture. As you read back through that, think about this. Christ is the head of nations, okay? Where he will rule and reign over every nation on the earth. Christ has returned and he's returned to set all things right. So he's going to reign and he's going to rule. And we see that portrayed beautifully in verses 43 through 45. And then, of course, David wraps up this prophetic psalm about Christ with a thanksgiving in a a prayer of praise in verses 46 through 50. So just as David opened up his prayer with praise, he rightly closes it with this short hymn of praise. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ went through all of this to accomplish salvation for you and for me. And because of that, he is most definitely worthy of our praise. Jesus did this for us. And so think about that when you read through this Psalm and when you see David write things like I kept the ways of the Lord in verse 21 or I was blameless before him in verse 23, remember to keep that prophetic thought in view, okay? Keep Christ in view here, okay? Because of course, you have not always been blameless. I have not always been blameless. I am not righteous. You are not righteous. But of course, Christ is. So think about Christ. Again, David being a type of Christ writes in this poetic language about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter two, verse seven. He said that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So all that we need, we can find and have in the Lord Jesus Christ because he accomplished everything. He is the righteous one. He is the blameless one. 1 Philippians 4:19 and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory why or how rather by Christ Jesus of course and then Colossians 1:27 Paul writes to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles which is what Christ in you that's the mystery it's Jesus Christ and he is the hope of glory so when you read through these psalms the question is not, am I blameless? The question is, am I in Christ, the blameless one? Okay, the question is not, am I righteous? Not at all. The question is, am I in Christ, the righteous one? And so think about Christ as you look through these psalms. And, and I think it will just really open this book up to you and really help you appreciate all that the Lord Jesus Christ did on your behalf to secure your eternity. And I want to finish up this this part of the the lesson here with a quote from Tim Keller, and it's really a prayer and I've recommended his book before. If you don't have his little book called the songs of Jesus, I would recommend it to you. It's written by Tim and Kathy Keller, really short daily devotionals through the the book of Psalms. It'll take you through the entire book in a year, but it offers just a little piece of the Psalms every day and then a a application and then a short prayer. And, And here's one of his prayers from Psalm 18. Tim writes, Lord, help me remember that my salvation in Christ is complete. So the great work is already done. The great debt has already been paid. The great disease already healed. And that enables me to take on all lesser tasks and challenges with confidence and joy. So, Lord, I put myself in your hands. Lord, work through me. Amen. And I think he's right on target here. The idea of this psalm is not to try and be more blameless, to not to try and be more righteous. It's simply to be in Christ, who is completely blameless and ultimately righteous. And he is the one who accomplished all of these things. You see what went on in heaven behind the scenes when when God was raising Christ from the dead. That's for you. And that's for me. That great miracle of history was so that you can be saved so that you can have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and live forever in eternity. It was no small thing that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. OK, had he not been risen, then we would have no hope. And so I love the, the background that we get here. And Psalm 22, when we get there, we're going to see some background of what was going on in the mind of Christ as he hung on the cross. But here we see what was going on behind the scenes as he rose from the grave and it's just beautiful it's amazing so lord we love you and thank you for all that you have done to secure our eternity lord thank you for the peak behind the curtain to the unseen world tonight of, of what was going on as you rose jesus from the grave and ultimately defeated the enemy of our souls defeated satan once and for all defeated death hell and the grave And rose Jesus Christ from the dead so that we could have the same hope of eternal life in him. You said you will save those who who humble themselves and trust in you. And you can do that for all of eternity because you lived a perfect life. You were the perfect sacrifice and you rose from the grave. Defeating everything that we could never defeat. So Lord we love you and we just stand in awe of you. And thank you for again giving us a peek into history tonight. Salvific history tonight as we look into the scriptures so lord open our hearts and open our minds to these things help us to understand more deeply the love that you have for us all that you went through for us how you're never going to leave us you're going to deliver us from this world safely into your presence and we look forward to that day and we thank you for this tonight in jesus holy name amen